Welcome to PB and Justice, the Price Benowitz podcast, where you join our hosts, Dane Phillips and Mitch Greenberg, on their journey to prove what makes our lawyers different and why our lawyers have chosen to pursue a life of fighting for justice. This episode is hosted by Dane Phillips and was originally recorded for our criminal defense podcast, Obstructing Injustice. Sit back and enjoy the show. Our guest today is Seth Oaken. He's a criminal defense attorney in Maryland for Price Benowitz LLP. Seth graduated from the University of Baltimore School of Law and is a New York native who made his way to Maryland for his undergraduate studies and never left. <laughs> he is an active participant in his local community and devotes much of his free time to supporting the American Cancer Society, specifically in the area of fundraising for breast cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, and lung cancer research, as well as the Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital for Children. Community service is something that just is close to his heart and something that he spends a lot of time uh, giving back to his community. And I've said this in the other podcast that you'll see that common thread with criminal defense attorneys is that, you know, despite the negative public perception, community service and, and helping others is kind of the cornerstone of our, our existence. Well, welcome to the show, Seth. Hey, good to have you. Good to, good to be part of this. Good to be here. How have you been? Good, good. You know, I, we're stuck in quarantine and, you know, get this podcast off the ground. And uh, it's just one of those things where you never quite thought we would be in this situation. But here we are. Who could have thought that we're living almost uh, in a similar world of the Jetsons, right? Hit your buttons, <laughs> you're popped up, and hey, we never have to go anywhere but zoom around. That, that's it. Well, we always start kind of the interview process with this same question, the origin story. Why'd you want to become a lawyer? I have no idea. It's a great question. <laughs> I, uh, I was in seventh grade and we were presented on the first day of class from our English professor with this essay. What do you want to do in life? Um, we had a whole classroom discussion about things and she had a couple of guest speakers in there. And this one guy talked about being a lawyer and what he did and how he did things. And the reason he attached to it in the beginning was his love of history. And so sure enough, kind of made sense to me, loved history, loved social studies, one of my favorite subjects, always will be. And so I wrote an essay about, I want to be a lawyer. And just kind of evolved from there? Yeah, little by little, uh, not, the, uh, not the traditional path. I wasn't K for JD, it took some time off. Um, I had to find myself, re-motivate, reconnect and go. But the only thing I ever kept with was history books, reading, going different places where I can learn about whatever was there. But it's kind of why I like the defense side of the work. You are the literal last line of defense for the Constitution, the laws, statutes, and everything the legislators try to enact. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the reasons why we, we started this podcast is that people don't realize the slippery slope of not having adequate representation, you know, having zealous advocates out there providing, uh, you know, effective assistance of counsel, you know, without counsel is just even something you can't even imagine. But uh, that despite, again, kind of circle back around that negative public perception, if they only knew uh, how critical we are to, you know, making sure the system not only as far as we can push that scale back towards fairness. You know, it's certainly not an even scale, but the closer we can push it back, you know, while we sit here and uh, fight the good fight. Uh, yes. Absolutely. So I guess we'll tell us, uh, we were talking before we started on the podcast. Well, tell me about how you, you know, you really became a lawyer. You're a young lawyer, how you transitioned into, you know, private practitioner, criminal defense. 
you could kind of give me some of that background and uh, kind of explain how you ended up being a criminal defense lawyer. Yeah, so actually, all the way back my freshman year of college, I was 18. Um, I was living in Washington, D.C., going to American University, and there was a, an older kid on my floor who worked for a law firm down in Georgetown, and they were always looking for an incoming freshman to come work at the office and just kind of run papers. And so I took him up. It was two days a week for about six months in this little boutique firm down in Georgetown and just watched lawyers go to and from. I got to visit parts of the DC jail with one of them. Uh, the rest of the firm was mostly medical malpractice and civil work, but I connected with a few people there and kind of continued that connection. I was waiting tables for Clyde's restaurant group for a while. Houston's restaurant group, you know, they're nationwide, but Clyde's uh, mostly through the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. There was a gentleman who used to always come in who was a regular of mine who did um, a lot of work through the civil rights movement, was an attorney through the 60s all the way through the 90s, 30 plus years before he retired. And again, the stories and what they told and their love of history just resonated with me. Over time, I uh, completed my undergraduate degree, did some master's work, rolled into law school. And the first attorney I worked with, again, was more civil work. Um, even in law school, when I got through the clinical programs, that was family work. And the reason behind it was all those practitioners seemed to be going to court and having these longer hearings and jury trials and things that you didn't get the opportunity to see on the criminal side. Um, the criminal attorneys that I, I had contact with weren't as exciting, I guess. But that side of the law was the part that I actually really liked. It was shocking to all these people that were mentors that everything that they taught me was great, yet I still <laughs> transitioned straight to criminal. And I did some civil work while I was a solo. I had my own firm. I won plenty of cases, but it, it was fun. I would never knock it. It's fun. I love the work, love the clients, but the fire and the passion was always criminal. And so over time, just starting and building out a basic traffic law to it's suspended, revoked, DUI. There was a gun in the car. They found the drugs. You know, and here I am doing you know, gun and drug trafficking for what are quote unquote terror and organized crime groups. So you never quite see yourself there, but yet here you are. Well, I, I kind of have this theory that, you know, in this, I, for the good criminal defense attorneys, you know, air quotes, the, you know, the, the real advocates, I feel like you're almost kind of born into it, right? You have that natural defender kind of spirit and it kind of pulls you into it, you know, and you get wrapped up with good lawyers and, uh, it's, it's infectious, bad pun during the time, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, <laughs> where, you know, you, you, once you're involved in serious criminal defense with good lawyers that know what they're doing, it's, uh, it's quick, it's a quick changing kind of a process where you realize like, yeah, there's nothing else I really want to do. I don't, I don't want to deal with insurance adjusters. I don't want to sign yeah. paperwork for real estate. You know, this is, and not only is it a lot of fun, but it's something you can get real passionate about, you know, and you actually have a human being that, uh, like you said, you're defending the constitution and you're trying to keep somebody out of a life changing event. Yeah. I mean, the, the creativity and the ability to work in the moment, you only find it in defense attorneys and it's not a knock on the state's attorneys, DAs, prosecutors across the office, but they run on a script and you know, the questions that are going to come out. And most of the time, I mean, some of these people just blindly go into the trial saying, well, I know what I'm going to make the officer say, but that's the problem. I know what I'm going to make the officer say. I know what you're going to make the officer say too. My side is to undo that, pull it apart and make it look like they're playing a game and it works. If you love what you do, it works because some of the best attorneys I know all have one thing in common. 
If they lose, that's fine, but they gave it their best fight. They're going to get right back in there. They're not going to get discouraged. And they're going to go back and listen to the tape and figure out what question did I miss. And look, sometimes you were never going to win, but you gave it one hell of a ride. Uh, you've created an appellate route. You've created every opportunity for your client to get their moment. And some of my clients, they wanted the trial because they wanted it not to just be rolling over. They thought the search was wrong or they were you know, singled out. They were, you know, they looked the part. And they're okay with losing because they had their time in court. I don't think state's attorneys ever get to experience that thrill. Outside of those elite cases where they're doing the murders and the rapes and, you know, these are, you know, the serial killers. That's different. Where they're putting in years and years of work. You have to have the passion for that. But the guys that are in traffic court doing the DUIs, they just want to get all the convictions and take all the licenses because they think, you know, they're doing the good work for the state. Yet right. you're beating them because they're not doing their job. The officers didn't make a good stop. And the legal arguments behind it are there. You know, not every car smells like alcohol and pot. It just doesn't. It cannot possibly be after seven o'clock. So you tell, you're telling me that the odor of marijuana, glassy eyeballs, slurred speech you know the copy and paste incident report that we get that that's just not true every time uh, apparently you know that copy and paste report my, my favorite <laughs> trials was an officer that i had four duis with i brought all four reports they were all the same <laughs> i've had one where they forgot the location i've had, i got one 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 time where he forgot to change the name when he copied and pasted <laughs> so i pulled, pulled the other report that would uh, make it, happen. Oh, man. oh it's just ridiculous but I mean, again, you know, that's ultimately there's there's no second to preparation, right? We, you know, preparation is key, and that you know the devil's in the details with our work. And at the end of the day, they're running off that script, and we have somebody on the other side who, well, if we're not successful, obviously, you know, they're either going to lose their job or have all these other uh, problems that come into their life. And like you said, at the end of the day, a lot of uh, defendants they just want somebody to fight for them. If they're ready to go to trial, that's all. They understand the risk and reward, and that's the lawyer's job to make sure they fully understand it. But at the end of the day, that's all we can do is say, "Hey, we did absolutely everything we could." Because you don't control what twelve strangers do, or you know, if it's in a exactly. summary court or magistrate municipal, six strangers, depending on what. Well, speaking of that, we'll talk about. So in South Carolina, our general sessions cases, which are high-level misdemeanors and felonies, you'll have 12 uh, jurors. And summary courts, which is magistrate, municipal, it's six jurors. What is it in Maryland? So Maryland's 12. We have a district court setting, which is just judges. Then we have a circuit court, which is the next uh, set of courts up. All juries are 12. Everything criminal, always 12-person jury. Depending on the size uh, in terms of the, the case, meaning the number of witnesses and evidence that's supposed to be introduced, Judges will determinatively look at it and say, all right, so we're going to need at least one, two, five days. And then that'll determine not just the size of the initial jury pool, but how many alternates you're going to have. Expectation is always at least one alternate, even if it's a single day trial. Most get 14, so you're going multi-day with at least two. And I've actually had a trial where we needed an alternate. Um, of, of all the times, it was the one trial that we thought would run one day. It ran over. And sure enough, there was an, uh, an awful accident on one of the highways getting into the courthouse. And we had a juror that was behind it, was never going to make it. And so we actually went to an alternate for the very first time in my entire career about a year ago. Um, it's also the alternate that I wanted as my last juror. So <laughs> it was an absolute cherry pick. And it, was, it worked out beautifully. We won the case. But 
it shows how, how important it is just to show up um, and then to have the actual jurors set in. I, I can't imagine a six just simply by the math. Because yeah, no, it's, ter- it's terrible. So a, a, a basic DUI first offense, you're going to have six jurors. I mean, it's still you only need one, but. I'd rather have six more. <laughs> I, you got it. One out, of, one out of the 12 is fine. I'll take my one. And that's it. I mean, I, I, I look at all the stuff out there. The, the Supreme Court just recently ruled that a non-unanimous verdict, which is still on the record apparently in a couple of states, but more press than this one in Louisiana, that they actually had to take that to the Supreme Court and get it, them to say, no, you can't do that in a criminal sense. It's absolutely, it's absurd. It's it is absolutely crazy. But that's where injustice starts and lies and spreads and why we're still fighting what we do. Right. And so, and, and with that, what, I mean, so what's the primary cases that you handled? Do you have a diverse kind of case list or uh, you, you know, you're not necessarily, I, I know for a fact, and so I don't have to ask the question. You're certainly not a, a, a quote unquote niche lawyer that does kind of exclusively DUIs or anything like that. And uh, like me, I think you pretty much take most all types of criminal cases. Uh, so is there a, a set of cases you, you kind of predominantly represent? So the, the beauty of working with Price Benowitz is that I get calls for a number of different types of cases and I have very few exclusions. There's very, very select few things I just will not do. But for the most part, I'll do just about any case, but it's after the conversation with the client, it's after feeling it out, seeing what's going on. Um, I won't take anything blindly. So right now, I mean, unfortunately, DUI work is always going to be a dominant thing in Maryland. They pull over everything that wiggles. You've got county bricks. <laughs> everyone seems to be drawn. Um, domestics are high in Maryland right now. And then for a lot of the niche work I do, is a lot of drug and gun cases, uh, especially over the last two or three years, I've started to see the buildup on that side of the practice that I do, both in the federal courts as well as in the state courts. Um, there's, I mean, well-known documented drug issues all over the country. We know heroin became a major, major player. Meth was out there. It's kind of ebb and flow of what's in there. But you're starting to see the, the other drugs show up, the ones that everyone knows they're just transiting and they're doing it very easily because I mean, there's a million ways to do it. And there's old fashioned trucks, unfortunately bridging on the East coast a lot out of Atlanta and then just spreads from there. Um, but you do, um, you see it, you see it everywhere and it all comes out of a traffic stop. So a lot of my work focuses out of there. You don't see a ton of house raids in Maryland the way you used to. They're just pulling people over. They're waiting, taking their time. Then they get the warrant. Then they hit the house. Um, but yeah, I'll take just about anything if it's exciting enough. And then I've got someone who really wants to find a lawyer that wants to work and they want to work too. So that's the best client is someone who's invested in what's there. And regardless of outcome in those cases, when you get done with the work, um, you gave everything to it and the clients, they come out with an appreciation of the system and the way that it works, win or lose. Obviously everyone wants to win, but even some of the cases that aren't perfect or you take out the top charge, you lose on a lower charge or the reverse. Some of my clients have always said, you know, we gave it the best possible fight. This was good. Thank you. Right. Oh, I mean, the best clients are the ones where I, I sit down and I go, all right, here's all the stuff that I'm going to do. Here's my independent investigation, but here's the homework I'm going to give you because yeah. you're going to be able to do this better than me because it's personal to you. Here are the things I need you to accomplish while I'm working on this. And the ones who actually do that, surprisingly, we end up in a much better place. Uh, you know, it's just Every one of those time. things. Right. You know, it's, uh, and so I try to do that big thing about, look, you know, we're on the same playing field. This is, 
I could, there are some things that I won't be able to do about you knowing you personally, your background and certain people. And so, yeah, given that homework and when you see somebody kind of working right out, right off the bat to get those things done, you know that they're in it to actually to see this thing through versus just kind of letting it play out. And so uh, it, it, it makes an absolute difference. I mean, and you're exactly right. I got hired this morning by, by someone who um, had a case out of Virginia, spoke to a bunch of people through Maryland, not realizing we had a Maryland office out of a Virginia firm. So they already have an experience with our firm. I got on the phone with her and he asked her a whole lot of questions and wanted her to give me her side of what was there. And not just the literal, yes, these, you know, this is what happened. And of the six people she spoke to before me, not a single person asked, asked her her opinion. I did. She hired me. And just like that, when we sent the retainer to her, it was signed within 20 minutes. Only because I simply said, tell me in your words. I get the report. You sent an email. It's all in there. I read it. I don't care. I want to hear it from you. And she's like, why? I was like, well, you were there, right? Yeah. You, you experienced it? Yeah. That, that's tell me that, about it. That's, that's not what... on the paper. This is the officer, not anybody else. That's the first thing I, when I call somebody, uh, that's the first thing I say, tell me what happened. Yep. Just let them Every roll. Time. And that's... I'm blown away that I actually cared about her opinion. It's amazing. And you're right. I mean, you, you hit on it. It's amazing how many times I get told you, you're the first lawyer that let me tell you what happened versus just ask me a bunch of questions and then quote me a quick fee and get, get me off phone. I, I just never understand how, yeah. how some of these guys practice law. So I know this is our, our consult. Is it just 30 minutes or an hour? I'm like, I don't know. It depends on how much you have to say. We can sit here for the next six or seven hours if it's really good. I'm right. going to ask you, what? <laughs> I mean, oh, I thought it's limited. I, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I'm not a nine to five guy. I don't have hours. You want to call me on the weekend? Go crazy. If you've got an idea, tell me. If it's too late, it's 10, 11 o'clock at night. I would have told you I'm going to be up. But if you're, look, if you're worried, send me a text. We'll call you right back. Right. And if it's serious I'll, and we got something substantial to talk about, let's talk. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, Ah, people like that. You know, it, it, if you're that available, when someone says, oh, I, I couldn't get my, my lawyer on the phone, and then that's just frustrating to you. But I mean, look, everyone's got to have limits at the age I am and, and where I am in my practice. I don't, I don't have limits. I don't, I'm not the type of person who thinks I'm going to do this for X and then retire. I just want the work to keep coming because I love it. So if I get you on the phone, I love when people are like, oh, I didn't want to bother you. Well, you didn't. I answered. Let's go. What do you got? <laughs> right. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> a guy this morning says, I just want to say hi. I know the courts are still shut down. Have you heard anything about, you know, when they're opening up? I'm like, they're scheduling in September. He goes, all right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> right? Um, but, I mean, that's the cool part about the gig is, is you're, you're making friends every day. It's you right? connection. That's it. That's how I look at it. They're, they're clients, yeah, by definition. But they're friends. You treat them like family. And these are people that you talk to. And if you make a really good impression, you're going to talk to them forever. I got a guy, I mean, from seven and a half years ago, still emails me once or twice a month. Just to touch base, he probably referred me 50 people. One of yeah. the best cases I ever had. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of other lawyers don't understand is when you treat somebody that way, when you treat them the right way, ultimately the amount of referrals you're going to get after that, even if it's, you're not successful in obtaining the absolute goal of what you wanted in that case, and I've, many times you do, but regardless, if you make that connection and you really worked for that client, they're going to send you cases. Yeah, they love it because you gave them what everybody wants, their, their moment in court, their time, their voice. You brought it to life because otherwise all they do is see the news and the radio shows and the movies and 
you name it about, oh, how, you know, my lawyer didn't do anything for me or I was ignored or nobody heard me or I never got my chance. And I never, um, never want a client to ever walk away feeling like that. So that's just the premise of the voice in the back of my head. Because one of the attorneys that I first worked for, uh, we're walking out of Baltimore City Circuit Court, had a really, really rough violation hearing. We knew we weren't going to win. The goal was to keep my client out of jail for 25 years. Ultimately, she ended up getting four, while the other two people that also violated got seven. And the judge was very complimentary and said, you brought in here information that I just didn't, didn't think about. They brought back the retired judge. They brought back the retired prosecutor because it was that awful of a case. But the, the embezzlement that took place in that, two people clearly had the money, one person didn't. It was kind of the person who was also duped and also lost down. We brought financial records that nobody ever produced in trial. And the judge argued that, you know, these, these could have swayed people. Couldn't tell you what it's going to do now. I mean, post-conviction, all that, she does want anything to do with it. We talked it through, but she was happy. Family was happy because she knew that she was going to serve one year. And she hadn't been in trouble in over 20 years. It was as the judge termed it the oldie but goodie, the last one out there that was still waiting for a violation. And when we're walking out, the attorney I was with said, you know, always remember one thing. It said, you know, you're walking out, you go home. Not all your clients do. He said, and I don't mean that to be dark in any way. I don't want that to hang over your head, but let that be the motivator. You get to go home. And I don't want you to use that as, well, I'm going home no matter why. He said, you get to go home. And if your motivation is to make sure everybody walks out with you, You'll remember, he said, because right now, without me standing next to you, it's pretty lonely walking out of that courthouse. He said, because the family's gone. They're going their own way after you, you know, you have someone go to jail. If not, they're sticking around the hallway yelling at you. And said, but ultimately, you're still walking back to your car, putting the keys in the ignition, driving home by yourself. There's almost think- no better feeling than walking out after that two-word verdict of not guilty. But then there's almost no worse feeling than walking out when it went the other way. I mean, and that's what people don't know. That's absolutely true. I mean, you, I'll never get used to hearing the word guilty. Um, I hate losing. No, it shudders, makes you shudder. It's, it's the same, the same feeling every single time is it's just as bad as the first one. You know, and you can still have, you can have a string of losses and they still bite just as hard, a string of wins. You always walk out going, I'm glad I won because I didn't want to lose that. And that's, again, the, the thing that, makes at least the defense side unique is remember your clients are coming to you. You're not handing the file as a state's attorney or prosecutor saying, Hey, prosecute this case. Win or lose, you're coming back to your office. No one's going to complain about it. You did what you had to do. You sit down, you go over it, you learn. Defense attorneys, we do all the same things, but the personal side, the sacrifice, the time, the energy, the attachment, all those things that state's attorneys will never understand, which is why we uniquely get pissed at them when they're pulling, you know, all these games and playing around and not giving you stuff or saying they forgot. They probably did because they're that disorganized sometimes because they've got hundreds of files to walk in on a single day. And that's just, that's just matter of fact, that's the way the system is. But ultimately we're the ones who always get blamed. Right. And they don't, yeah. And they don't have to look that other person in the eye and explain to them why things aren't going in, you know, you know, they don't, like you said before, with that human connection, they're not having that person sit in their office and look them in the eye and say, well, we don't have this yet or that, you know, and, and like you said, we ultimately get blamed when it's clearly based on the laziness or disorganization of the prosecutor's office. And, and in sometimes maliciousness of, like you said, playing games. 
Yeah. I mean, look, they're not, they're not spending a couple of months on a file. We know that they admit that they get it, you know, a month out at most, sometimes two weeks. Ultimately you're still arguing with them. They didn't send certain things over, but. That's how it goes. You know, it, it is. It is what it is. You got to work through it. You just got to push it. Exactly. That, that's it. A good lawyer is going to keep pushing the file, keep working it. Well, speaking of uh, kind of a segue with that advice to young lawyers, doesn't have to necessarily be criminal defense advice. If you could go back and talk to young Seth, what advice would you give him? I would have probably told him not to take as much time off and travel. I would have gotten into this a lot earlier because I love <laughs> it. Um, no, that's, that's it. Find your passion. Um, you know, it's, it's unique. Again, my background was in civil. It was in medical malpractice. It was in personal injury law, family law. And a lot of the people that I knew initially, even as a kid, were all involved in that. They were involved in politics. They grew up knowing a bunch of politicians. And that's where they saw the law taking them. Their passions were there. They wanted to go and they wanted to win the money. They wanted to, you know, get elected, find the votes, go out. I enjoyed that. I thought it was fun. It wasn't passionate. You'll find it and, and go in with an open mind. Because the one thing that I really did enjoy in law school was trust in the states. I had a professor who was absolutely convinced that's where I was going. That particular professor has a brother who practices criminal law. Her dad practiced criminal law. Her sister is a state attorney. Every time I see her, she still reminds me of how disappointed she is in me because I'm not doing that work. <laughs> but I laugh. I'm like, well, I mean, talk to your brother. I was just in court with him. One a great motions argument right before he won his. <laughs> and, um, but she'll always pass people in my way, not to convince them to be criminal attorneys, but because the same thing, open mind, passion, find what you love because this isn't, unfortunately, this isn't a profession where you really can change your hat every year. You really need to learn and you've got to keep learning and reading you're not going to enjoy the history. You're not going to enjoy the changes and you're not going to enjoy how to apply that if you don't love it because it takes creativity and passion only comes from you know, loving all the parts, not just, all right, I'll do these three, but not the other. Cause if you don't have the total package, you're going to fail. Right. You don't need to be the Jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, it's one where it, it you have to devote your life to it. At least if you're going to try to be the best, defense lawyers possible. Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, just for young lawyers, you've got to, got to have fun. You've got to remember <laughs> it has to be fun because if you go to work and you hate your job, first of all, you're, you're not going to do your job the way you want to do it because you're going to cut the corners to get it done to appease probably someone that you're working for that you didn't want to work for. You've got to find all the right things together. And that's trial and error. Look, sometimes firms don't work out. Don't feel bad. Sometimes you realize, you know what? I can't prosecute these cases because I want to defend them or the reverse. I can't ever imagine myself as a prosecutor. I've been offered the job. I could never do it. I think it would bring out the worst of me. I like what I have here because it matched. Could I do other things? Sure. Do I love the study and the reading? Absolutely. It's why I'd be able to do it. But this resonates. But you really don't want to. That's just simply that. I don't want to. That's like when people say, oh, when you're done being you know, in the courtrooms, don't you want to be a judge? No. no I, yeah, don't want to <laughs> I don't want to sentence anybody. I'd be like, all right, I'm a judge. Raise your hands. Not guilty. Go home. That's where <laughs> I am. <laughs> You know, in 20 years, I, I'm in my 60s maybe, but that's a short window before Maryland makes you retire at 70. So I, right now, I never foresee myself in any other job than this. That's how I know I'm doing the right work. Absolutely. exactly where I see me. Well, what mistakes would you tell young criminal defense attorneys? So this one will be criminal specific. What mistakes would you tell them to avoid? What's some of the pitfalls that you see some of these uh, criminal defense attorneys, specifically young lawyers, make? 
what we were saying a little bit earlier about fact patterns, you know, it's at no fault to any officer. I've, I've got friends that are officers, my best friends are state trooper. But the fault is, is that there's a system that ultimately everybody learns to utilize. You can use DUIs as a great example, right? They go to a school to be taught how to pull someone over and then test them for DUI, standard field sobriety test, the breath scores. The state's attorneys do the same school. I've done it. Judges do it. We all know the playbook, right? But you got to continue to study, right? The 2008 manual doesn't do me any good in 2020. I want the updates. In fact, I want the just most recent series of updates that just came out. I want all the cases, the details, all the work that's come down, because if I can't apply it to now, I'm using the old trade. Unfortunately, you find that. I had a senior prosecutor come to district court to prosecute a DUI case. It took seven minutes to win because he never <laughs> qualified the officer for standard field sobriety testing, specifically to the horizontal gaze. And in Maryland, you have to get the officer to testify that they're an expert. All they did was establish that this is an officer that went to classes. I had the perfect judge, which also helped. But the judge literally said, going to a classroom is no different than being in elementary, junior, high school, wherever you went in your education, because I can still go and sit in the classroom. How does that make you the expert? How does that even qualify to give the test? The officer never answered. The state's attorney never backed it up. And he looked at me and said, counsel, want to make a motion? He said, no, disqualified witness. He said, for everything. Done. They couldn't introduce another a single shred of evidence. And again, the mistakes come from not knowing, taking it for granted, not following your script. So everything changes in, in trials. It's always moving parts, but you have to have your basic outline. And yeah, it is tailored like the scripts that we see everywhere. We know in certain cases what we have to do because the state has to prove every element. So I have to kill one of them. So coming in, I know there's certain things I cannot possibly be, but there might be one that's great. So then I know what I'm going to attack. I'm never going to just throw everything on the wall. I'm not going to shoot a thousand holes in it. I'm going to go right after it. Best advice from a judge in Howard County on an opening statement, which she wants. Tell me what you're going to do or tell me what they're not going to do. That's it. And I will write that word down and I will never forget it. And every time you win a trial or lose a trial, she says, I was looking for this. I either found it or I didn't. That You got to have a consistent theme. And, and take the notes from the people around you. I mean, the, the, the best advice is right in front of your face. Sit in a courtroom in front of a judge, you know you're gonna be in front of them if you've never seen them in trial. Because they're gonna say something of value. I love sitting around courtrooms, listening to other people go to trial, watching them win, watching them lose, just listening to what people say, and then going back and saying, all right, so this judge and this judge said, I don't ever, or you know, the, the opposition to the motion from the judge was because of, all right, so do I have a match? In fact, I can't use that. It's just a learning experience. I mean, I keep, Keep notes, lots and lots and lots of notes. And I've got a good core of friends, um, you know, the benefit of, of, of talking to people. You're never going to be the smartest person. No one can possibly be. Yeah, relationships and networking are key. I mean, and that's if you're not kind of keyed into your local bar as far as criminal defense attorneys and you're a criminal defense attorney, that's a big problem. If, you, if yeah. you're not, you know, so the South Carolina Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, I, I assume Maryland's got their own version of that. And you got a couple. We've got a couple, and that's the trick. So there's, you know, Maryland Association of Justice, MAJ, has got a phenomenal listserv. Um, the Maryland Criminal Defense Attorneys Association is what, what I'm part of. I find most value from there. But locally, Baltimore County and Prince George's County, I'm members there. I talk to judges from everywhere I possibly can. I go to a number of meetings so I can get insight. You know, when they have a, we're hosting the judges, you know, district or circuit court presentation, come and ask questions. I'm there. 
because I want, I have questions. There's some, there's certain things I want to know and I'm going to ask them in the most basic question. What do you do with an opening statement? I, I think I've asked it a hundred times and it's a very simple question. And some judges are like, I don't even need to hear one. And then I say, why? Do you already know the direction of the case or you're presuming facts? And then they backpedal because there's always one person sitting next to them that says, no, I want an opening statement. One of the toughest judges in the entire state of Maryland sits in a county with one judge. You know that's the judge. Loves opening statements. I want to know what you're going to say. I don't want you to waste my time. If you're not coming after it, not direct, I guarantee you will lose in my court. Great. I'm, some of my friends are scared to death to go into that county. We've got, I mean, we've got three or four of them, but this one in particular. I've won a trial there only one, but I won one. <laughs> I took his advice. I mean, and it was that straightforward and simple. It was a DUI based off of a stop, questionable at best, and an icy day. Not only did he say a deer ran across the road, but there was a witness that said that's exactly what happened. That's why he spun off. They found prescription drugs in the car. They still charged him, but they couldn't use him. They couldn't prove it was in his system. He voluntarily gave a blood test, which showed trace amounts. We argued that. We used the law, and he said, you're 100% correct. This is not a DUI. He said, all this is is avoiding a deer, and that's why we call it an accident. So the nice thing is the officer didn't even write that to him. Not guilty on five different citations. <laughs> and it's, it's just basic stuff. I mean, every county's got a judge you know you want. Every county's got a judge you know you don't want. Absolutely. The best county is where it doesn't matter. You've got one. Good luck. <laughs> you already, yeah, you know exactly where you stand. Yeah. Well, this section of the podcast, we call it the obstructing injustice kind of a section here. What systemic issue in the criminal justice system bothers you the most? Is it, you know, so you, the Innocence Project is kind of labeled these kind of five factors for uh, leading to a wrongful conviction. You got bail reform, junk science, jailhouse snitch, eyewitness misidentification, uh, and the list goes on. Is there one issue that kind of just drives you nuts? Uh, you know, is it something that if, if you, if, you know, if you were king for the day and you could make a, a change on one issue, what would it be and why? It was tough to narrow it down to one. Um, bail reform is, is absolutely on the top of my list because I think there's a lot about how a client walks into a courtroom that a jury immediately interprets. Uh, I mean, with presentation is everything. But I, I still go back to the junk science every single time because we've heard the stories about the pressures on the science and the labs to produce, to get results, to do it, do it quickly. We've seen too many instances where hundreds and hundreds of cases were manipulated to get the results that were expected. There was just a, a major issue, which still hasn't been fully disclosed here, that ran through a good portion of Howard County, where the state was dropping cases. We knew it was because of the test because we figured it out, but they were not forthcoming with information. Science itself is not definitive in so many different ways from how the evidence was taken, how it was transferred. You, you, you watch that chain of custody, that property title as it goes. It's yours. It's theirs. It's the lockers. It's the labs. Well, where was it transferred to first? How long did it stay there? What's the conditions of where it was stayed in an evidence locker? You know, where, are we talking about drugs? Are we talking about blood? Are we talking about guns? There's an expert for everything. I mean, look, fact of the matter is everybody knows we can make a doctor talk about A or B. Same exact facts, same exact results, but they each have different answers. Because what they need is more money. I hate bringing it back to that, but we know that the money behind it, the state will fund whatever they possibly can to get the right person to come in and testify. And for the defense, it's incredibly expensive. A lot of people can't afford it. And that's where they're losing. 
And that's where the Innocent Project is so important because the unbelievable amount of support that they have behind them to prove that these were things that were done wrong, they're still being done wrong, is why people donate to that type of cause. You've got the one area where the niche attorneys really fell into, and that is all this reliance on science from years ago was pushed with an agenda. And the hope is now that it's simply pushed with the science itself. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it marijuana? Is it a synthetic? Is it heroin? Is it fentanyl? Is it car fentanyl? Is that a gun with real fingerprints? Are there none? Do we have DNA? And that's another one we can continue to go back to. Was the DNA now extracted by the more popular cheek swab? How much more effective is that in the blood sample? Depending on the case, why are they swabbing a cheek before we're looking for his fingerprints? Are they finding them in, you know, mysterious drop of sweat ended up right here. Of all the single places it could have been in an entire car, yet we found it on the center console. Okay, but what does it prove? People hear that and they still, from all the anti-vaxxers and all the anti-science people out there, when you put them in a jury of 12, they're doctors. And they think, well, if the doctor said it here, it must be true. But they don't believe it anywhere else. And that's now, the dangerousness. I mean, it- Got it. Now that's exactly where you find the danger. I would love, and they've been, there've been rules changed with regards to how you can ask a lot of people and juries on their- present sense impression of certain things um, of what we can ask. I have an incorporated now list of questions that I'm going to ask in DNA cases where what's your position on science? Do you believe in climate change? Do you believe in blood showing a definitive DNA or are you someone who doesn't believe in X, Y, and Z? And I'm going to adapt it to everything that's out there. Um, will they get rejected? Ultimately, sure. I'm going to keep pressing the issue until I get my shot at getting every question I want because I'm not going to let somebody sit out there who says they don't believe in science only to believe what that officer said because right. only to use it against you. I just, but it's frustrating. And that, that to me has been, I think the most frustrating part of the job. And, and that's why we're also seeing now people stuck in jail for 30, 40 years of being completely exonerated. Absolutely. You know, and then of course you, you've got to give, you've got to give the, the time to jailhouse snitches and false identification as well, because people will make themselves believe that they saw something simply because there's some benefit, especially with a snitch in jail. I mean, they're, they're saying, oh, I solved the case because this person decided to say, you know, the following people were there. You see it in, in gang cases where someone right. finally looks over and they say, oh yeah, all the following people. Yeah. I just, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have the stamina to do the Innocent Project because what they do is unreal. You know, any help I've been able to even watch over and look at is amazing. And it's incredible. It, it just it goes to prove that you cannot rely on that. And it seems to be the root cause of a lot of the, the convictions that are overturned are the science side. Yeah, so the, the leading cause for wrongful conviction of DNA exonerations is eyewitness identification. You would, I mean, which is insane because so many people believed that they were certain what they saw. And it shows you the, you know, the fallibility of people's memory. But I want to say maybe the next one is junk science, essentially, you know, the manipulation of science for uh, essentially, Ill, you know, ill-gotten uh, motives. Yeah. Well, the next section we got, and this is like rapid fire. Don't think about it. Just answer it is the cross-examination section. What's your favorite law related movie? My cousin Vinny. Yeah. Classic favorite book. Non-law related, just any book. Non-law non related books. I actually like um, Nordic Gods. Uh, I love 
that side of has to do with comic books because I love Marvel and I grew up with comic books. But the side of the incorporation and all the science behind, um, excuse me, all the uh, the pseudoscience behind the, the Nordic <laughs> gods and where they come from, um, the stories, folklore, things like that. I like it because I can escape into it. Science fiction, clearly, uh, anything in science fiction, really. Nice. Which lawyer in history would you want to meet if you could? Someone who actually practiced law or was a lawyer? Doesn't uh, matter. It was a lawyer. Abraham Lincoln. There you go. Uh, absolutely. The per- I mean, he's the person, if I had to pick anyone in history, the only person I would have to absolutely sit down and just, just listen to. Man, it was brilliant. No, there was no better orator ever. And, yeah, and his writings are, I mean. They're unbelievable. Yeah. I just, want, I just want to peek inside his brain. That's <laughs> it. Maybe take a couple of gems and just stick it right in. But yeah, he's number one on the list. List one non-law-related thing you do that makes you a better lawyer. We've had somebody said they kickbox, other goes for a long run. What's one thing you do that, that's non-legal related that makes you a better lawyer? Makes me a better lawyer. That's a great question. Um, my kids, they, they provide me a release and kind of escape from the world that I live in. Perfect answer. Perfect answer. I was about to ask you because, you know, when we were trying to schedule it, you were saying this time right here is blocked for my children. So I about answered it for you. I said it's, it's for children. <laughs> yeah. That's the perfect answer. Yeah, it's just it's the perfect escape. What would you do if you weren't a lawyer? What's your dream job? If I wasn't a lawyer, I'd be, a, I'd be a, um, I would either be like seniors in high school or a freshman in college and be a history professor. Nice. That's the one thing I love. And so how we close out every episode is what we call war stories. You get a choice. You can either pick a specific case you want to talk about or a moment uh, as a lawyer. It can be funny. It can be one of those uh, you know, that kind of moment during a cross-examination that everything was just right or, I mean, just this memorable moment in your career. You can be, talk about an entire case or the moment itself, your choice. Um, one of those, one of those moments. So you get a bunch of them that you love that will always be memorable to you. The one that stands out, um, probably one of the longer relationships I've had with a client for a number of reasons. So this was out of Washington County. Um, I had a client that essentially was sitting in the passenger side of a vehicle and the cops approached, said they smelled marijuana. Um, he's, you know, asked to get out of the car after they're talking to the driver who admits, Hey, the pot's on me. I smoked before he got here, but they're going to pull him out anyway. And they, of course, take furtive movements. And that's why the officer then closed the door on him before he was willingly getting out. He jumps over the driver's seat and takes off. There's a good 15 minute, you know, body camera of the, the officer running after him. And he gets, you know, himself in a whole lot of trouble because he already gave his ID to the officer. A couple of days later, he turned himself in after he hears there's a warrant because he's got a violation of probation. He's going to check in and he's going to get arrested. So he just turned himself in. He's held without bond on not only just the case, but on the violation. And the judge who's holding the violation said, if you come back here, I'm going to give you every last minute of backup time warning right now so this case can be a trial and he i mean the, the premise of it is after they go and they kind of walk over the areas that they believe he ran they find a gun the gun is rusty it's sitting out it's dirty it looks like it had been in there for years but they find it in the backyard down a little alleyway in the middle of you know washington county well, everyone's like oh, i'll take the plea work it out globalize it, but there's no globalizing when a judge is literally, I pulled the record, said, I will give you every minute of backup time. 
So we're scheduled for trial for the first time. It took about six months to get to trial and we don't have a judge yet. I'm the youngest of four cases, one of which had rolled over from the day before. So the case goes from starting in May to starting in August. Of course, we go to trial one day. Can you guys stay late? Sure. By 11 o'clock at night, hung jury. Can't get a bond. I asked for it because it doesn't matter. The violation won't come through. We get reset for a couple of months later. State won't drop the case. Now, at the same time, I had another case with the same officer and I, I beat him in that case in district court. Come back to the circuit court and we get another jury. Again, same judge. Um, I had no problem being in front of the same judge. He's fantastic. He said, I don't even really remember the facts of the case. Um, but a couple of times throughout the case, you'd see him smile because he hears some of the same questions come up. <laughs> the state decides not to call one of the cops as a witness. And again, I've been told a thousand times I'm crazy to take this in. In this county, your type of client always gets convicted. The perception of the client, color skin base, has to be in jail, must be a criminal. I'm just not hearing that. It took the jury less than 30 minutes from instruction to have their phones taken away to go back in the room to come and knock on the door. We were still standing in the courtroom. I'm still talking to the three officers. The state called two, I called the third. Blew the jury away that I'm calling an officer. Because when I said her name, they were like, huh? Not guilty. You know, and it, it was as sweet as can be because it's every single count not guilty. The entire state's attorney's office is sitting in the gallery because they all think I'm dead in the water. It's that quick. The officers were talking to me. The jury comes out. I always stare down the juries because I'm waiting to see if someone will make eye contact with me. And every single one of them did. So my that's client, a good, that's a good feeling. he's brought back out and he's sitting here and goes, what's going on? Is it a question? Because he's used to it from last time. I said, no, no, they've got a verdict. He said, um, what's your feeling, Michael? Everybody looked at me. He said, that's a good thing. I said, that's a good thing. First of all, it's the best hug I've ever had him. <laughs> and he threw, I mean, this is a big dude. He throws his arms around me. We smile, we laugh, we wait for the judge to close it out. Hugs from the family, everyone walking out cheering. Of course, work's not done yet because he still has the violation hearing that's set a month later. And with that, we we're filing motions that night. I call his public defender who was holding the case. We get the state's attorney on the line. Three days later, they drop everything. The judge drops the violation. We actually got that case closed out, goes home. By far and away the greatest case I've ever had because everyone told me you should never take this to trial. You're going to lose. You have no position trying these cases. And this is a county where if you're not in the good old boys group, you're not one of them. Here I am, this, this kid, because I'm at least 15 years younger than everybody else at all of 42 years of age. And I'm crazy. I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm one. And it wasn't the first one that I won. It was three or four after that. They were sending their senior prosecutors down to the district court. Okay. And I was beating them. They got smart. Um, you know, and now they've plucked a couple of really good cases I'm never going to win. Um, and they've now kicked them up to the federal court. So I can say I'm not going to win them because they, they kicked them out. But it just goes to show you, you know what? You don't have to be the old guy in there. You don't have to be the person who's friends with everybody, but it pays to be friends with everyone. Just don't listen to when they tell you you can't do it. That's right. Because there was no better feeling, literally no better feeling, not only winning the case, but I was the second lawyer to be hired. The first lawyer was a local who went to the bond hearing, said nothing. They fired him that afternoon, hired me the next day. We had another bond hearing. We were, we were told no, 
but I gave a 30-minute argument in front of a district court judge the family loves. And it kind of showed the state, this is coming to trial. Bring what you've got. We're coming at you. And never let up. My client was locked up for almost nine months, um, just over nine months before he was released. Every time we met, he came with notes. Every time we met, we reviewed the videos. Every time we met, we went over everything. And this is a jurisdiction where when you go to visit in jail, you've got nine to 11 or one to three. So we're doing it in two hour increments. We only had 30 minutes, but we made every second count. Not that I ever have favorite clients, I never will. But as far as if I had to clone a client, I want this guy every time. No one has ever been better prepared or more willing to work. It was incredible to be part of it. And it's, you know, it's someone who I still get a couple of, uh, couple of pop-ups in my calendar because I, I see them running through and it shows me, oh, you know, this is you a year ago or six months ago. And again, the case is not even, uh, not even a full year yet. And I still think back to it because it was just an absolutely incredible case. And again, it, it's in my top five. It may not be my number one in wins, but as far as clients go, it's him and two others all shared the same exact thing. Notes, prep, trusting what's going on, opinion. Flat out told me, no, don't make that argument. I don't want that in there. I think it won't work. They also were heavily invested in what we did in setting the jury. You know, one thing I also love to do is try to figure out where's my group? What's my niche? Who do I look for? Do I need men in this age, women in this age, backgrounds? What do they do? And then sitting there asking the questions. They come up to the bench with me. When we go to strike and we've got our four cause, uh, four, four cause strikes, are we striking this person? Right off the bat, there's always one. Do you like him or not? I'm running a lot of that off them. I really do. I have my opinions, but what was your feel? I don't want to strike. I'll figure out my math and adjust from there. But that's, those are the cases I love. That one case, because we got to try it twice. Hung the jury once, won it the second time. That made it the sweetest win ever. <laughs> and there was nothing better. Because it embarrassed, it embarrassed the state's attorney's office. And the way I know that is they have their local herald that loves to sit the same guy in the courtroom behind you. He takes the worst quotes from the defense, best quotes from the state. And I've seen him a dozen times since that win. Every time I see him, I'm like, where's my retraction? Why aren't you courting me? And he won't print. So that's how you know you literally ripped it <laughs> and that's And that's the best part about being a lawyer right there. Well, it, and to be a criminal defense attorney, I think you kind of hit it on the head. You got to have that underdog kind of feeling, and you got to love having that opportunity to be able to, to, to make the upset. Yeah, you got to, I mean, you got to, you got to take it on a ride sometimes. You just have to press it. It's just a cool gig. Again, you have moments like that. It goes back to what you said advice for people looking at the law, young lawyers, anyone across the board. If, right. that's, not, if that's not in your heart, you're not, you're not a criminal. And, and you weren't afraid to try the case. There's too many lawyers out here that don't just, they don't the want to try the case. The worst thing that could happen that the judge says guilty or not guilty, the jury says guilty or not guilty, that, if that's it, it's one of two answers. So if, if the client wants it, give it to them. Yeah, that's the best part. I don't have to make any decisions when it comes to that. I never do. I look at my clients and say, what do you want to do today? Here's the state's offer. Do you like it? No. So then you want to have a trial? Yes. You want a trial here in the district court if that's where we are, or do you want to take it to a jury in the circuit? Their choice. I, I don't care. It makes no difference to me. I'm prepped and ready for trial. I tell everyone across the board, when you hire me, I am a trial attorney. I'm going to look to try every single case that ever comes my way. If you want a trial, let's have it. Even if we cannot possibly win, okay, 
If we tried it 100 times and lost every time, let's try it 100 times and lose every time. What, what have I got to lose? Nothing. I want you to look at it. Where's your investment? So you're just throwing money at somebody who will roll you over. I'm not your lawyer. Find somebody that's not, else. It's not just. Take 500 bucks out of your pocket because I'm going to be more expensive than that because my intent is to earn it, not to just simply find a quick way to get you off my calendar. I just, I don't like that part of the job and I'm just never going to be that lawyer. No. And again, yeah, the different personalities, but you're right. If you're looking for somebody that's not going to put the prep time in and why you're worth, you know, what you're charging is, is look, like you said, I, I love that phrase. I'm looking to earn my money. You know, I'm sitting here to earn my fee. I'm going to do the work. Absolutely. Every time. It's just, and there's so much fun you could have in this job. It really <laughs> is. And look, if you want to be a lawyer, simply because you want the tag, be a contract attorney. There are big fortune 500 companies that will bill you at $500 an hour. They want their 5,000 hours a year. You're going to work 50 weeks at a hundred hours a week. That's you it. will work. They'll find more work for you. You're going to make them a quarter of a million dollars. Otherwise you're going to be fine. And then if you continue to do that, you might move up 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. You might make a junior level, but they're never going to put you at the top because they want all the money that's there. They got their senior partners. They've got their management. But you're not getting it. You're right. just a cog in the system to make the wheels turn because you didn't want to, you didn't want to be that lawyer. You just wanted to do the work. They got that from the first interview. They looked in your eyes and said, you're just a guy that we can make work. No problem. We'll give you work. That's it. You're not going to hurt anybody. And if you're wrong, you adjust it. You go back to rewrite it. People argue, oh, I liked it. I didn't like it. You're not putting someone in jail for life. If you can't grasp the magnitude of what you can screw up, you're not a criminal lawyer. You cannot do it. And that goes for prosecutors as well. And I think they missed the boat on that. They don't understand the ridiculous amount of power they wield. They, they have don't. more power than a judge. They have more power than a jury. They have more power than I will ever have simply because they really need to look at it and say, if there's exculpatory evidence, my duty is to disclose it, not hide it. And that's where we go back to the innocence projects and everything we've talked about where the laws fail. It's because they're greedy because they think they need to win everything, but you don't. The best prosecutors are the ones that actually say, I don't have this. I'm dropping the case. Right. And ultimately if the, if they truly believe that person has this, uh, you know, criminal activity, they'll get them uh, one way or the other someday. They're going to the keep road. following them and they're going to keep calling us. And, Look, it's that scene of my cousin Vinny. After the testimony, the judge looks directly at the, at the, the state's attorney, district attorney, and goes, you know, we're going to dismiss all charges. And, and he made it just a grand statement, but you realize he didn't have to. He could say, well, leave it to the jury. Everyone in the courtroom knows. Right. But that, that's where like, that's a humbling moment. When I was in law school, I took trial advocacy, and the judge who taught my class was the administrative judge for the Howard County Circuit Court. She played that video in our class for so many reasons. And she, of course, tailored back to what's real and what's not, but the portrayal, the way that it does for being prepared and respectful, the running of a courtroom, you've got to love this movie because it really does show how much power the system carries and where every person player plays its role, how to approach, how to handle clients, how, handle, how clients handle you to be smart and prepared. Again, this is also a judge who learned the entire inner working of a vehicle to argue a case once. And she did it over the course of going to a mechanic for about a month, every day. So the fact that this was the judge who was teaching, we wanted to listen to every word, but the fact that she said, this is her favorite movie, not the paper chase or all the other stuff that's out there. This was it because of the way that it runs. 
and of course you formalize a little bit, but it really, you could see that type of case happening in reality. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, you, it, it, of course, if anybody's listening to this and they have never seen my cousin Vinny, they need to stop what they're doing. Got to do it. <laughs> got to go back. I stop what I'm doing just to watch. It's, <laughs> it's literally of all the movies out there. It is literally the movie that if it's on, I stop. I watch. That's it. I, you I got to. Yeah, I can play it in the background. I don't even have to see it anymore. If I'm writing motions at night, it's on. It's one of it's one of my go tos just to keep me in the flow. It, it makes me laugh. Yeah, it's passion. Everybody loves passion. Well, so if. I don't know if you got your social media handles ready, but I, obviously if you're, if you're in the Maryland area and you're looking for a criminal defense attorney, you need to give Seth a call. You know, basically if you Google Seth Oaken, that's O-K-I-N, uh, Seth, S-E-T-H. Uh, he's in Maryland. Uh, if you got questions, a case, definitely give him a call. He'll happy to talk to you. Uh, like you said, he's available. He's not one of these lawyers who's going to put you on the calendar for next week and give you a 20 minute slot He's going to be there for you to talk about what actually happened so he can understand whether he can help you and how he can help you. And so from that, definitely give him a, give him a shout. Is there any, you got any social media stuff you want to plug or, you know, just Not so much the plug. I mean, if you, if you Google me, I'm, I'm going to show up. Um, I'm on Facebook. I keep a business page profile in there. I've got my web page, which I do the dominant writing for, um, you know, th those are the mediums you'll always find me. I tell everybody you'll probably find a phone number for me directly in my office. But at the end of the day, when you talk to me, I give you my office cell phone. It's literally in my hand. It's literally right in front of me at all times. It never goes anywhere. It's always on when calls come in and out. I answer them. I'm not going to send you through a secretary. I'm not going to book you a time. I'm going to say call. And I'm going to talk to you six in the morning to three in the morning. I don't care if you call. I'm going to answer. If I'm up, I'm going to answer. I'm going to call you right back. It's just it's fun. It's a great job. So I open myself up to that. I know that many people are always going to call, but I've never complained once, nor will I. Right on. And it, obviously we thank you for listening to this podcast. You can find us at the Facebook at obstructing injustice podcast and on Twitter at injustice pod. We appreciate you listening. Uh, again, this is lawyer stuff. So I got to do this obligatory disclaimer, right? It's not legal advice, but just general information. There's no attorney client relationship created. And of course, any past results don't guarantee future results. Every case is different. So now that we got all that out of the way, the big thing is, uh, you know, the common themes of the thread is don't be scared to try a case. Know from your heart what you really want to do and be passionate about it. And at the end of the day, if you follow that stuff, uh, you look for a lawyer who's going to make that connection with you and want to truly hear you out and have you participate in the case. You know, you found the right lawyer. We just appreciate you listening and uh, come back next time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye.